0: Okay, good morning. good morning. All right, we have the uh, privilege this morning of studying Parsha's Bahar together. Very short Parsha, not in combination with Bichu uh, which doesn't happen often. So, uh, as usual, we'll give a little overview of the Parsha, and then we'll get into the psukom that I want to delve into uh, together on a text uh, analysis basis. So... There's plenty of seats at the table if you want to join. If you want to, if you want to hide back there, you're welcome to also. But either way, I promise I won't call on you. the uh, The parasha begins uh, with the uh, with the story of Shemitah. The majority of the parasha deals with the issue of Shemitah, the sabbatical year, and of Yovel. And uh, there's a great opening Rashi that uh, the parasha begins by Moshe reminding us that Hashem spoke to Moshe at Har Sinai, and then it gives us the laws of Shemitah. And the question is. Rashi says, Ma inyan harsinai. What does shemitah have to do with harsinai? So someone I know was once in Israel, and they uh, had the TV on, and there was an old episode of Kojak shown. And on the episode, uh, Kojak—I don't know—remember the name of the sidekick on the show? I don't remember the name of the sidekick? So, uh, whoever it was, it was Rabbi J.J. Schachter told us to this, told us to a group of us. So he said that uh, someone was watching Kojak, and it says uh, he says to the guy next to him, What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? So you know in Israel there's subtitles you can read the subtitles on the bottom. you learn Hebrew by reading the subtitles while you hear it. so Kojak says to the guy, "What does that have to do with the price of tea in China?" And the subtitles say "Ma in schm it 's that 's part of the beauty of uh, in the week in which we celebrated Yom Hatsumah, we think about part of the beauty of Israel, the state of Israel, the modern state of Israel, that ingrained within Jewish living there is uh, is torah i don 't even know it 's probably entered the Become a colloquialism there that man uh, What does one thing have to do with the other? Probably half the Israelis who use that expression don't even realize it comes from a Rashi and Parshas Bahar. What does one thing have to do with? <laughs> it's like I don't know. I don't know what, what does that have to do with the what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I have no idea what that means. It would be good enough if they knew that there was a thing called Rashi. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so that's the beginning of the Parshah. Of course, Rashi tells us uh, that it's it's a connection to tell us just as. Um, Shemitah the principles and the details were all given at Sinai so to all mitzvahs were others see it differently by the way some of them of Hashem, say no this is the Torah the Ibn Ezra says that really all this appears before Sefer Vayikra you go to the end of Sefer Vayikra Parshas <laughs> Bahar really happened before all of Sefer Vayikra it happened at Har Sinai Bahar Sinai lay more this commandment of Shemitah was a commandment at Har Sinai you don't have to get all homiletical on me but the uh, it's not in chronological order, and it indeed happened way back then. So anyway, the first part of the Torah is all about the idea of Shemitah, sabbatical year, and there's a fascinating debate among the Mepharshim. We've discussed this in the past, we're not going to discuss it this year. But for whom is Shemitah really directed? Who does Shemitah benefit? Sabbatical year is for the benefit of whom? For the land or for the farmer? And there's a debate. The answer could be both. It's not, uh, they're not mutually exclusive. But we usually assume that it's for the benefit of the land, That the land lays fallow in that seventh year because it needs to rejuvenate. It needs to renew itself. But there's a whole uh, school of thought that says that sabbatical year has nothing to do with the land at all. God created a rich soil that could grow and it could grow seven straight years. It doesn't need a year off. For whom is the sabbatical year? It's for the farmer. That the farmer renews his sense of Amuna and Bitachon. God wants to have and this is the connection perhaps to Harsinai. God wants the farmer to take a year off and go back to Harsinai. Go back to a year of dedicated exclusively to learning Torah, receiving the Torah, to connecting to God. The idea of a sabbatical year is the idea of of not worrying about one's livelihood, not worrying about one's parnasa, but having faith that the Almighty or the shul will provide, and uh, being able to enjoy a sabbatical year in which one is exclusively dedicated to getting close to Hashem. So for some, Shemitah is an exercise in emuna. The farmer, I mean, imagine, imagine if you didn't have a sabbatical built into your contract, you were self-employed, and you self every farmer is self-employed essentially, and God says to you, you're self-employed. Every seventh year, I want you to not work. You say, well, uh, where's my food going to come from? Where's my salary? Where's my income? I got tuitions to pay. God says, don't worry. If you keep the sabbatical properly, the sixth year you'll have enough income to last you the sixth year, the seventh year, and the eighth year. So you're gonna, it's going to promote and cultivate a great sense of, of amuna when you take off that sabbatical year. So again, there's a big question, is the sabbatical year, the Shemitah, is it all about the land? Is it an environmental issue? Is it an earth issue? Is it earth year, not earth day, that you're protecting, allowing it to rejuvenate? It's our responsibility to the earth. Certainly that's also true. But it's also about the farmer and the exercise in Amuna. For the farmer. farmer. We have the whole idea of, of the lands returning. Um, Isn't it even greater no. of Muna for Muna uh, over Yovel? Because it's two years' like of Shemitah, so he's got to provide for so much more. Yep, yeah. 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 The, uh, the Jewish slave, I'm sorry, the, uh, the lands go back, about in Yovel, the slaves go free, the lands go back, ancestral lands, the cities of the Levium. The land doesn't go back the road makes a big point the person goes back to their own land, that, that, that the land beautiful Hashem, right and the whole sequence it is is a conditional gift that if the individuals the right thing, reassociated with the land if you do the right thing you'll have the land Baha, but, Baha, but, Baha, but beautiful beautiful okay great Duke okay so what I want to study together in this uh, short parsha is para pasa hey and it's a new section. Not in the Psukim, but remember it wasn't the uh, Jewish people who gave these labels. If you look at the it's a stuma, which means it tells us it's a new Parsha, A new section t- from a Torah perspective. Chapter 25, verse 35. Everyone see it? Mm-hmm. So in the context of telling us all about Shemitah, uh, the sabbatical year, Yovel, the Jubilee year, about the cities of the Levium, about the ancestral lands and properties. The Torah now remarks, <laughs> The Torah tells us if your brother becomes impoverished, becomes indigent, and he falters, he fails, he's falling down. And where is he falling down? <laughs> In proximity to you. So, you're obligated to strengthen him. Who is this? A a, a ger v'toshav, a proselyte or a resident, so that he can live with you. He lives with you. And the Torah then goes on and tells us more explicitly, what does that mean? It means that if he's failing, he needs a loan. He can't pay the mortgage. He can't pay the tuition. He can't put food on his table. You're not allowed to take interest from him you can't take you can't take two different forms of interest we'll see in a moment what they mean don't take interest and increase you have to fear God and thereby by giving him an interest free loan you will uplift him you will support him of course we have to explore what's the connection of the what is economics 101? What do uh, microeconomics have to do with having fear of Hashem? What does one thing have to do with the other? The Torah now repeats itself. Don't lend him money with interest and don't give him food with interest. Why? I am the Lord your God. I took you out of Egypt. I promised you the land to be your God. So again, what, what what is one thing? What does one thing have to do with the other? What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? God says, "Don't lend with interest," because I took you out of Egypt. What? What does one thing have to do with the other? So there's a lot of expressions here, a lot of questions. Your 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 brother is lowered, is impoverished. Yamuch means to go down, and he's suffering, he's indigent in proximity to you. Even that expression is a very funny expression. What does it mean, in proximity to you? So your responsibility is, v'hechazak tabo. Uplift him. Strengthen. You should know that Rabbi Soloveitchik felt that this verse, this pasuk, is not only true on the individual level, that when an individual in your proximity, someone within your sphere of influence, someone that you are exposed to, have access to, is struggling, you're obligated to support him. But it's true on a national level. He remarked about the Holocaust, that when a generation is lowered, when a generation struggles, when a generation suffers, and they're brought down, it's our collective national responsibility that the next generation strengthen, that we provide support, and so on. be true for within one generation also our Israeli brothers (laughs) if they're struggling if they're suffering (laughs) but the point is that this Pasek is not only true on the individual level but the Rav saw as being significant on the national or collective level as well that if you're in proximity and exposed to somebody who's in need of help you can't turn a blind eye but it's a mandate to get involved to help them so let's look at Rashi (laughs) it's a great insight by Rashi he says, don't leave him to fall. Which is easier? If you had a 400 pound man who's losing his balance, helping him keep his balance to straighten him up, or if he falls, getting him up off the ground. Which is, which is easier? If you've ever walked with an older person and they lose their balance, you're grabbing their belt. Which is easier? Helping them maintain their balance, rebalancing them, or lifting them up off the floor as a dead weight? It's much easier to help someone regain balance than it is to lift them up off the floor. So Rashi says, that's pshat Before they fall. Sivichiyamucha m'chicha means they're falling. They're on their way down. Don't wait until they've fallen. Till they're on tom cheshabas. Till they're desperate for a need. the l'akimah and it'll be really difficult to lift him. Ella mishas dama The Medrash says that if a donkey has a weight on its back and it's slipping off the donkey's back, the donkey's falling, one person can adjust the package on the back of the donkey to straighten the donkey up. But if the donkey falls, it takes five people to lift that donkey with that weight off the ground. So the same is true. Even five people can't do it. Even five people can't do it. So The same is true with a human being. Somebody's suffering, somebody's struggling, somebody's imbalanced, somebody's falling. Don't wait till they fall. Rebalance and readjust them and support them before they fall. It's a brilliant insight in sestaka in general, chesed in general. Chesed and sestaka are not, you do your best and if you're absolutely desperate and impoverished and indigent and have nothing, then you could come to me. It's if you feel any sense of struggle whatsoever, come to me, because I'd love to help you get on your feet before you're upside down on your mortgage, before you're behind in tuition, the school says you can't come back, before all the problems come. Let me help you before that happens to get you back on your feet. It's a brilliant insight by, uh, by Rashi. The Ibn Ezra says, it's interesting, what word seems to be, <coughs> t- the same word appears twice in the Pesach and seems to be extraneous both times. <laughs> should say Your friend is falling And they're struggling What does it mean Imach? With you Strengthen <laughs> him Strengthen him whether he's a light or a citizen What do you mean Vachai? And help him live What Imach? With you That same <clears throat> word appears there twice Why Imach? Both times If he's falling in proximity to you Help him live Vachai, I'mach, Lift him up and help him live with you. Why Imach twice? Any ideas? Just one thought. Yes. Okay. If it's with you, then it's your responsibility. If it's in your Dalai You see it. You're part of it. You're living there. He's living there. Beautiful. So look at the, the Ibn Ezra. Imach. Sha'ata khayv lan nimca Imach Sha'ata You're obligated Imach. Don't view him as as independent and separate from me. Imach means if he's in your proximity if he's found if you've seen him you are meant to see him Imach means if you see someone struggling don't close your eyes don't keep walking don't pretend because it's more convenient I never saw that if you saw someone struggling it was meant for you to see and I'll share with you um, a very interesting insight by Rav Dov Zev Weinberger the author of A Sefer Shem it's a great series he was a Reb, I think the young Israel of Brooklyn I believe he's still alive. He has a great insight based on the Ba'ashem Tov. Because what is does Yado imach? What do you mean imach? He's struggling in my proximity. What does that have to do with my proximity? If there's a mitzvah to help someone struggling, go find someone struggling and do the mitzvah. What does it mean in my proximity? So he says, you know, with the Mishnah in Perkei Yehovah says Da Know what is above you. I in Roa and I sees Ozen yes. Shomaz and ear listens the whole And all of your actions are recorded. And the mission is classically understood to be a description of how we should inspire ourselves. How do you live an inspired life? By recognizing there's something much greater than ourselves. It's not about our own selfish interests. It's not about our immediate gratification. It's not about our pleasure of the moment. But the whole institution of a yamaka, of a kippah, is to remember there's something above us. There's something above us. To realize that there is a God. And if you realize that, you can't help but acknowledge that I and Roa, there's somebody watching. It means that even when I'm alone, I'm never alone. And there's an ozen shama'as, there's an ear listening. Everything that I say is being picked up on. And my decisions have cosmic impact. What I do is being recorded and has cosmic impact. So that's the classic meaning, that's the classic understanding. But the Baal Shem Tov explains very beautifully, homiletically, an alternative interpretation. He says now, know what is above you, that there's a master plan, there's an omnipotent being who divinely runs the world. It's not about what you see here on earth. It's not about the micro. It's not about what appears superficially right before you. There's a master plan. There's a grand scheme. And because of that, ayin roe. What you see, you are meant to see. And ozen shoma'as. Your ear, what you hear, you are meant to listen to. And And all of your actions based on what you were meant to see and to hear, whether you will indeed respond to what you saw and what you heard, are going to be recorded. For the baal Shem Tov, nothing in life is a coincidence whatsoever. Nothing. You walk down the street, and you overhear someone groan or moan or krechts because they're in trouble, you were meant to hear that. And the, by the way, the Bashamtav Shem Tov had this philosophy of in general anything. If you witness two people having a fight, if you heard somebody curse, if you saw something terrible or you saw you were privileged to see something incredible, you need to reflect why were you meant to see that? Because there are no coincidences. If something, if something happens in your proximity, you were meant to see it. The God diagrams the intersections of our lives to empower and to enrich us both, the recipient of the kindness and the one who provides it. So we have to notice, we have to have our antenna up. Eye and roa. It's a whole new interpretation of the Mishnah. It's not God's eye who sees everything we do. It's not God's ear who hears everything we do. It means our eyes, eye and roa, what we see, we are meant to see. What you heard, you were meant to listen to. Don't close your ears and don't close your eyes. And so Rav, the, uh, Weinberger, the Shem uh, Shemanatov says, that's Pshat, umata imach. that the person <coughs> is struggling, Imach in your proximity. You were meant to see it. You were meant to intercede. This was an intersection of your lives. You will grow from it as much as the person that you help. Both of them are operating at the same time. So that while you are watching, seeing, and hearing, and realizing everything is coming from a cut right. of he's watching, seeing, and hearing everything you do. Right, right. Absolutely. How do you measure this? It's understandable a like, job. But, very little left still on the seat you understand that. when a man who was worth a billion dollars yesterday and today it's worth 50 million to him psychologically it's maybe no different than the person who just lost his job you have to pick your spot. certainly one would agree yeah. Now, Richard you're 100% the, the Rambam writes and this is in the rules of the <laughs> Halakha that you have to support a person according to the lifestyle they were used to well, so that's that that's a very complicated issue you can't afford to right Right. so that's why within listen we don't have time now but within the rules of staka there's a hierarchy there are priorities in staka aniyah ircha the poor of your community come first who <coughs> are the poor of your community Rav when he was here Paskind that the Torah institutions in your community the day schools have the status of aniyah ircha that supporting day schools, if you don't, even if you don't have children or grandchildren in them, but if you live locally, that's a priority in staka. Ani Eretz Israel come next, the poor of Israel. There's, there's a whole hier- hierarchy and priorities. It's a very complicated sugya. It's a very challenging issue. But you're right. The the notion of strengthening, means you've got to pick your spots in how you do it. But sometimes it means that if something happened in your proximity, that's the whole, excuse me, pshat of the Shemonatov, is that, what you saw, you were meant to see. Maybe the poor person... That would be nationally as well. And if we apply that to the national approach, right? We would never go outside your boundaries. Correct. It's, it's, uh, well, that may be true. If every community was taking care of their own, I think we'd have a much better situation. In fact, the OU is going to be coming out with a program that that's how they want to solve the tuition crisis. If every community would agree, the individuals in the community, and we're going to start doing this, listing the names of people who join a club that pledge that whatever percentage of their stock of dollars stay local and x percentage of their local stock of dollars go to day schools that you will so even though you live in Boca and your grandchildren may live in New York but if you keep your dollars in in Boca and my parents who live in New York and their grandchildren are in Boca, but they keep their dollars in New York, we all will benefit in the, in the long run. We'll freeze tuition amounts or we can lower them if people are doing what they were designed to do, Mice are in money. So we'll see. This is the obligation. By the way, this, this is... People are crumbling under tuitions. I can't tell you how many families have met with me, how many parents to say, we'd, we'd love to have another child, we have more than enough love to share for another child, we can't afford another child. People are crumbling. They're making decisions about bringing Jewish children into the world because of the cost of Jewish education. that's our responsibility, is to lift them up. Is to lift them up. Okay, let's keep going. The, um, the Ramban has a comment here. V'echai achicha imach. He says When it says that the poor person who's in your proximity you should sustain them it says with you. That's also so we, first we explain the first Imach. Based on the Shem Anatov means there's are suffering in proximity to you you have a specific mandate to help them. It's not a coincidence that happened in front of you. Hashem designed it in front of you your lives to intersect it's for you to get involved. What's the second Imach? V'chai Imach Support him so that he lives with you. There's a mitzvah. So I say there's a positive biblical commandment to support him. Shemim savino pikuach nefesh, but mitzvah this is the obligation to save a life. Pikuach nefesh Vachai imach. Let him live with you. Who says we have another? We have a love. Losamor adam reecha. Losamor adam reecha, which we saw a couple of weeks ago, means I have a love. I have a negative prohibition. If somebody is having a heart attack in front of me. According to American civil law, if I have any obligation at all to try to save them, zero. I could stand and look at the guy having a massive cardiac episode and do nothing. And there's zero legal liability to me. The good Samaritan law in America doesn't mandate me to have to get involved. It protects me if I did get involved and I cracked two of his ribs while trying to give him CPR, I can't be sued. But in American civil or criminal law, I have zero mandate, zero li- zero obligation to save. Judaism says, no. You're standing by, someone's having a heart attack, you don't call 911, you don't go get the defibrillator, you don't do your best to do CPR, you violated a negative commandment alav. There's a positive commandment too, says the Ramban, and that's this Pasuk. The positive mitzvah, to have to intercede if somebody's suffering, of pikuach nefesh, comes from v'chai achicha imach. Umikan Amru And from here we continue And this is a Gemara A famous Gemara in Bab Metziah They're in band quotes This is Ben Petura Here he is The Girsa Ben Putiri But it's Ben Petura This is a famous conundrum A famous question The Gemara Bab Two people are walking in the desert There's one canteen of water. One individual has a canteen of water. If he drinks his canteen of water, If he saves the canteen for himself, he will survive, the other will surely die. If he shares the canteen, the contents of the canteen, they will both surely die. What's the halacha? What's the proper thing to do? you asking ben said, They should both die. How, we just said you can't stand idly by while your you friend dance. dies. You're going to drink and allow him to die of thirst in front of you? How could you passively stand idly by while he dies of thirst in front of you? Share it. Share it. And if the result is you both die, that's a later result to come. But you're denying him the water will surely bring his death. That's forbidden. That's Ben Petura. At Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva then came along and Rabbi said, No, this Pasuk, achicha imach, V'chayecha kod vecha. He learned from here, not the emphasis on V'chai to make him live, but the emphasis is imach. Support him, sustain him to live with you. Which comes first? The with you. If you're not alive, forget sustaining him. This is the source of what we hear every time you fly in an airplane. Please put on the oxygen mask, take care of yourself before you take care of anybody else. Vachai imach. Make him live with you. That's Rabbi Akiva's insight. So that's the Gemara in Bamba so it's interesting, uh, just to share with you, I was learning this recently, there's a big question whether the prohibition, when we talk about Yareg Ve'al Yavor, there's three cardinal sins that if you violate them, you've uh, you violated, it's preferable to give up your life than to violate them. We call the three cardinal sins. Avodah and Shavichas Idolatry, promiscuity, and murder. Someone puts a gun against your head and says, eat this cheeseburger I'll kill you what do you do eat the cheeseburger because it says the Torah was given to live with the whole purpose of Torah was to enrich your life if Torah will mean sacrificing your life then there's no point in Torah live by them live through them eat the cheeseburger someone puts a gun to your head and says Violate Shabbos, I'm going to blow your head off. What do you do? Violate you violate Shabbos. But if somebody says, puts a gun to your head and says, "Kill so and so, or I'm killing you," what do you have to do? You. you have to get killed. You have to give your life. You have to uh, <coughs> you have to be willing to die. So what is the What is the first one? Then? What does it exactly mean? What? The first one is Idolatry. You can't bow down to an idol. Does Kavana make a difference? there's all discussions in that so and who's all. So, right, right. that's true in general but if it's shmad, if they tell you they're trying to convert all the Jews and they put a gun to your head then you have to be willing to die even for the most minor mitzvah because that's all of Jewish integrity at stake so that's a different question altogether to keep the water from the other person in the other example that you gave is not murder oh so good so that's exactly where we're going Dory so the question is I have to die rather than kill someone But this prohibition of yarik V'al Yavor, the obligation that I have to die rather than kill someone, is that only true, that I have to die rather than actively kill someone? Or is it also true in terms of passively killing someone? Is it preferable for me to die rather than passively kill someone? Or is it preferable to die only rather than actively kill someone? Interesting question, right? So what's, a, what's an example of passively killing someone? Let's say they say, I'm either going to blow... If you don't let me... The, the, non, the non-Jew, it could be a Jew. This uh, cruel person comes and says, I'd li- I'm going to lift your body and throw it on top of a baby, which will suffocate and kill the baby. Either allow me to lift your body and throw it on the baby, or I'm going to kill you. Are you obligated there to give up your life? Because there you'll say, well, I haven't actively killed the baby... I'm, I'm playing the role of um, I'm a cement block. I'm passive. I'm just standing here. I've done nothing. He picked me up and threw me on top of a baby. So is the mitzvah of yari V'al Yavor is the mandate of die rather than kill only true for passive killing? Or is it even true only true for active killing rather? Or is it even true for passive killing? According to what, what Rabbi Akiva says, it, it wouldn't be true for passive because if you're walking with somebody and, and you don't give him the water, then basically you're killing him. So I'll tell you th- this is a big discussion because uh, to put it into halachic terminology is the Issa Ritzicha only B'kum V'aseh or B'Sheh V'altaseh? Is it to be active K'um or the Issa Ritzicha B'Sheh V'altaseh? Is Yari V'al Yav or the Issa Ritzicha B'Sheh V'altaseh? Where does this question come up? It comes up in one of the other three cardinal sins. I'm going to probably talk about on Shavuos night. You need to find a topic that will keep people awake at uh, midnight. So this is my topic probably for Shavuot's night. Sleeping with the enemy. The permissibility of sleeping with the enemy. Are you? It came out about a year ago that, uh, I don't want to put any images in anyone's heads. so I won't tell you, but a very prominent uh, female politician in Israel, leave it at that, that before her career in politics, she was in the Mossad, and it was revealed that when she was in the Mossad and she was in France, I think it was, there was more than one time where she befriended and slept with the enemy under the guise of being a girlfriend in order to access intelligence. So, is it permissible? Because we know it's yarg ve'al yavor, it's gilei arayas. Would you be permissible to violate gilei arayas? Could you violate the prohibition of promiscuity? in order to gain intelligence to save others. That'll keep you up. Even though it's, even though it's <laughs> yeah, the the Avhor. The permissibility of sleeping with the enemy. Wow. What? She Let's assume she was married at the time. Really? So where, do you, where does that whole sugya come from? What's the source of that whole conversation? We'll have it on Shavuos night. Oh Where's an example in Tanakh of someone sleeping with the enemy even though they were married? Esther? Esther. Esther was sleeping with Ahasuerus even though she's married to Mordechai. What? Because her relationship with with was critical and key to the but that was different. survival of the Jewish people. Why is that different? Sarah, that was different. Why? And from what I understood, was that uh, she was forced to do that. So it was considered. It was forced? Yareg What do you mean? She should have died. She should have said to "I can't sleep with you. I'm a married woman. So if you sleep with me, Sarah. you can't embarrass the king. Sleep with me, I'll kill you. She should have said, then kill me. That's then kill back. you. Sorry. Then I'll give my life. That's why did Esther not give her life? Rather than sleep with Achashverosh, so the Gemara has a discussion about this. Tosfos has a discussion about this, and the Gemara ultimately I'm giving a little preview for Shavuos night. Gemara ultimately says Esther karka olam haya. She was she made herself limp. She was like a she was like a karka olam. She was passive. She was limp and passive when she would have relations with Achashverosh. Now everyone's going to come Shavuos night. <laughs> what? Oh, so but it generates a conversation. Is the prohibition of Gilai Arias? All three of these cardinal sins, one has to give their life rather than violate them, certainly than actively violate them. Is it also true to give one's life rather than passively violate them? Can you violate it? Now, can you assume that you can be engaged in an act of intimacy passively? Can a man also be passive in an act of intimacy? That's also part of the conversation. Let's say someone puts a gun to a man's head and says, sleep with her or I'll kill you. Can he be karka olam? Can he, or by definition, a man in that yeah, act can't night, be? Yeah. Come Shavuos night, and we'll we'll keep <laughs> you awake with that. <laughs> so there's a big discussion based on that. The Tosfos and the Rambam have a big debate about this issue? <clears throat> Tosfos and the Rambam of violating the cardinal sins Besheviatase passively, and in that context, the Minchas Chinuch tries to bring proof and Reb Chaim Salavechik the great Reb Chaim Brisker, the Minchas Chenech, tried to bring proof from this case of the argument between Ben Petura and Rabbi Akiva. That that was the debate between Ben Petura and Rabbi Akiva. That Ben Petura says that even B'Shay V'altasim, there's a din serious Nefesh. Ben Petura says, even though you've done nothing, it's your canteen of water. You haven't killed the other person by denying them your water. You haven't actively killed them. It's your water. You're entitled to drink it. But Ben Petura says, so what? Yareg yavor b'shev is also yareg b'shev is also To passively kill him is also better for you to die than do it. And that's Ben Peturah svara. What Ben Petura was saying was, I know that if I share my canteen, I will also die. But that's what the Torah says: better to die than to kill. And to deny him water is equivalent to killing him. That's Ben Petura. Ben comes along, Rebbe Rebbe. better, better analysis because how could somebody absolutely know that they the water you could know let's say he's a scientist he have an idea. no he's a scientist and he knows the laws of hydration and he knows that the, the canteen has so many cc of water and if we split them then we can live. again it's a hypothetical yeah. but once we're already in the hypothetical we can make it our own hypothetical and in our hypothetical he knows exactly if we split it we'll surely die if I drink the whole thing then I can surely live sorry when the uh, volume went on, then I can truly live. So Ben Petura proves from here, or Ben says the Minchas says Reb Chaim Sorry, says Reb Chaim Brisker. Ben Petura's Pharaoh was Isra sicha b'shev atase is also yarg v'ayavor to passively kill someone. It's also preferable that I die. Comes along Reb and he says, no. when did the Torah say I have to die? Become vase. I can't take out a gun and kill him in order to save my life, but for me to drink my own canteen of water, even though it will result in his death. That's passive. I haven't done anything. And there the Torah says, Vachayachicha imach, imach, there my first responsibility is to keep myself alive. My first responsibility is to make sure that I'm still alive. But doesn't the Gemara say that if you're on a boat, your mother and your father, which one do you save? And if you answer the question, you're in Russia. Isn't that because you don't know until it happens that you possibly can't say no? Isn't that the same with Ben Kutu <coughs> saying with the water? I mean, uh, you know, maybe it's similar scientist knowing a person knowing exactly two people drink, right but again but within our hypothetical because yeah, yeah. the Torah is trying yeah. to create a construct and sometimes yeah. it gives the extreme examples of the hypothetical yeah. in order to deduce the principles the Chazanish by the way disagrees with this Rukhaim and says you can't prove it from here why because the Chazanish says we're not measuring in certainty give the water he lives indefinitely don't okay. give the water he dies immediately we're measuring incrementally At this moment, if you give water, he'll live chayesha. He'll live for a certain finite more amount of time. So I have the ability... Right, exactly. So I have the ability to save both of our lives for 20 minutes. So you can't say, you can't measure it in such uh, categorical terms. Either he lives, either I live, or we both die. You can't measure it like that. We can both live for 20 minutes. True, certainly after 20 minutes we'll both die. But for 20 minutes, we can both live. So if you measure it incrementally, then maybe I do have the obligation to save him. So the Chazanish rejects Reb Chaim's analysis because he says you have to measure it incrementally, not measure it in the uh, in the broader scheme. Uh, we, you could spend a lot more time on this. You could have a fascinating Chabura, a Lambdas, the Reb Chaim, the Menchas the Chazanish, Shev Yaltase, I'm just bringing it up because the Ramban here brought it up. It's all based on this Pasuk. V'chai Imach. You're obligated to sustain the person dying with you. And Rabbi Akiva used this Pasuk to prove you save yourself first because there's no point you can't save him at your own expense. Viter. are we doing time? Yikes. <laughs> we said, don't take interest from him and fear God. What's the connection between don't take interest and fear God? It says Rashi. Because interest is very enticing. People love their money. People love their money. What's the Hebrew word for money? We call it kesef. The Gemara uses a different term for money. I've shared this with you before. Gemara calls money damim. Why damim? Maral and others say, because money is an expression, a reflection of your blood your sweat and your tears. Assuming you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. not talking about that you inherited the money or you won the lottery. But for people who are self-made, that money is the result of their hard work and their effort. Forget being rich. Even if you're modestly successful, even if you're poor, whatever limited money you have, it's the result of your hard work. It's called dumbing. Money is... That's why, by the way, there's an opinion. Believe it or not, we discussed this after... That hurricane in New Orleans where uh, people were looting the Walmarts in order to take water. Is it permissible to steal to save a life? The Heinz dilemma. You know what the Heinz dilemma was? Heinz was not ketchup. ketchup. It was not a dilemma of whether to put ketchup or mustard on your hot dog. That was not the Heinz dilemma. Heinz was a German philosopher and he had the following dilemma, hypothetical. He says the... uh, The drug company, the pharmaceutical company invested hundreds of millions of dollars in order to create that drug. Now it's being sold at the pharmacy because they have to recoup their costs and make a profit. $5,000 a dose. Person's wife is terminally ill. The only thing that can save her is that drug. He can't afford it. They can't afford it. He tries to work it out with the pharmacist, no can do. No insurance company, the healthcare, nothing can help him. Should, what is the ethics of his breaking into the drugstore, the pharmacy, to steal the drug to save his wife? Are you allowed to matil atzma b'mamun chaveyro? Can you save yourself with someone else's money? That's essentially what happened after the hurricane with New Orleans. People were breaking into Walmarts in order to get water, in order to get food, in order to get uh, provisions, in order to save their lives. That's <laughs> not a mitzvah above exactly forget the mitzvah component it's not a mitzvah to save my life it's I'm saving my life maybe a mitzvah to save your life by stealing maybe the Heinz dilemma so can you steal with someone else's so it's actually believe it or not you would think it's an, you should think I once gave that class you'd think it would be a minute and a half class pikuach nefesh, Vachai imach, the Ramban says there's an obligation of pikuach nefesh, pikuach nefesh is docha kol rakula. pikuach nefesh, saving a life, supersedes all of the mitzvahs in the Torah with the exception of three. Stealing is not one of these three. It's an open and shut case take a minute and a half. Except, there's a Gemara which implies that stealing is included in the big three. How? So that's one of the opinions the Rishonim okay, explained. Okay, the Rishonim well. say, you take money, it's like you're killing him. Money's called damim money is a life source money is how we sustain ourselves for you to steal from someone else is the equivalent of killing them because you've taken away their ability to sustain themselves you're not allowed to save a life by killing someone else that's not the opinion that we follow we follow the opinion it would be permissible in that case ultimately is the conclusion that we that we lead. there's also another analysis which we'll save for another time we may actually discuss it the Shabbos but the concept of a Rodif if someone has medicine that could save someone else's life and they're not sharing it are they the equivalent of a rodeif? Are they like a murderer that you're now entitled to stave, steal? Right. So there's all kinds of fascinating ethical dilemmas that come, in, uh, come into this equation. So I'm sharing this with you only because that's what Rashi says. Money is dumb. Money is a person's life to the extent that there's an opinion that says that, you're, that you can't steal someone else's money. That's included in Yarig Vel Yavor of Ritzicha. It's murder. To steal is equivalent to murder and therefore you can't steal, it's one of the three cardinal sins. So Rashi says because a person considers their money, their life, it's their blood, sweat and tears, they don't want to lend it for nothing, right? I'm not an economist, I'm a rabbi. But it's Economics 101 to know the time value of money. There's a time value to money. That means to say that if I have a thousand dollars today, my having the thousand dollars for the next month has a value. Versus not having access to that thousand dollars gives me one value, first of all, that I could spend it. And if I don't have it, I can't spend it. Another time value to money is I can invest it. I could gain profit on my money. There's a time value to money. There's a great time value to money. So, um, I'll tell you, when I was uh, the summer I spent at Kellogg, I learned, you know, you learn about the time value of money and how major companies can use that in terms of inventory and how they move inventory. Dell Computers, requires customers to pay when they make their purchase, long before their order arrives. But they only pay their vendors, and Dell can afford to do this because the vendors are happy to have their business, after 90 days. So you'll say, what's the big deal? So you have any clue the profit (laughs) Dell turns by having that money for 90 days? When you go online and you order a Dell computer today, you give your credit card, you pay immediately a thousand dollars, let's say. But Dell assembling that computer doesn't have to pay those parts for 90 days. They have your $1,000 for 90 days. There's a time value to that money. Dell could be investing it, they could be lending it, they could be this, they could be that. There's a time value. to It's a a chachma. You think Dell makes money because they sell computers. Now Dell makes money also just in that inventory management. There's a time value to money. So you come and you want to borrow money from me, I say to you, "I I love my money. Maybe I want to spend my money. I could turn a profit on that money. Why should I give you my money for free? I'm going to charge you for giving you my money. I know you're going to give me back all my money, but you can't make up my, the loss of my time value of money. So I want you to give me interest, 5%, 10%, 3%, whatever the market is. So Rashi says, People have trouble parting with their money and forfeiting the time value of money. So, Rashi was a vinter. He was a businessman. He understood the notion of time value of money. He had inventory that he moved as well. He had a winery that he operated. So he says a person can be <laughs> a person, bless you, is going to justify it to themselves and say, I, I could charge interest because I'm taking a loss the losses that I could have been making money with that money. So that's why the Torah had to say, have a fear and awe of God. A person will say, I'll use a non-Jew's money, I'll I'll structure it in a loophole way to try to lend money because I want to make money off of this loan. That's what the Torah says, ultimately, be God-fearing. But Rashi didn't really answer. What does Viaresa Melekecha have to do with interest? Why is V'yarese Melekecha <laughs> going to be the antidote? Why is that going to to solve when you have that temptation to say, no, I'm, I'm going to justify, I'll, I'll rationalize, I could charge interest because I'm losing money. No, mila Melekecha, remember God. What does one thing have to do with What's the, the risk other? Risk is a legal loophole that gets you out of yeah. it. It structures it not as a but it's a, it structures it as a business investment with a return rather than as a loan. So when you lend me money, you become my partner, where I promise you a 5% return in advance on the money you've invested in me. Whether I'll have a loss or a, or a profit. I'll give you that return. It becomes a legal loophole because it restructures the whole thing. So what's the connection? So I think Pshat is very simple. Pshat is very simple. You don't worship the money. You're not worshiping money, you're worshiping God. But I think Pshat is very simple. You trust in Hashem. Yeretsa Malkecha means you realize where does your parnasa, where does your livelihood, where does your your uh, prosperity come from? It comes from God. So if God wants you to make an extra sale, an extra deal, you know, get an extra bonus this year, then God will allow that to happen. So if God says, "Don't make money over here," I'll help you make the money over here. And you say, "No, I'm nervous, and I'm entitled to make money over here because I did." There's a time value. I lent my money. You have, you're not God-fearing. You're a kofer. I think that's also the connection to When you lend with interest, you are a heretic. You're denying God's role. That's what the Torah is saying. You're not God-fearing if you lend with interest. Because you don't believe that God will take care... You know, you stood to make 5% on that loan and God said forfeit the 5%. If you don't listen to God and you charge the 5%, you don't believe that God will help you find the 5% elsewhere. Well, Because there, it's... God Himself, again, if you conclude that halacha allows you to do it, so God's saying, go do it. God's saying, I did save you. I gave you Walmart. Go get the water. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I gave you the ramp, the What? Yeah, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. Again, the Heinz dilemma how far do you go, and are you willing to steal, to, and so on and so forth? It's a slippery slope. But, uh, you know, it's a whole, yeah, that's the question. That's what God says, Right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. Do you, have, do you have to repay them? If you use their thing to save your life, do you have to repay them? Right. It's a good question. The Rambanan said, What's the difference between Neshach and Tarbis? It's a Gemara, the, uh, the fifth parak of Bab Azu Ezou Neshach. I'm sorry, Chani, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you the difference. Pasuk lamed hey applies to a ger v'toshav also. It's a non-Jew also. A, a, someone keeping the shev mitzvah in a noach also. Pasuk lamed vav is you're only not allowed to charge interest to a non to a Jew, but you can charge interest to a non-Jew, which is a big question. I don't want to steal the thunder of the bar mitzvah boy tomorrow. I helped him with the speech, but I'll tell you, and then you'll forget it by tomorrow. This is for the benefit of anyone listening on the MP3 who will not hear the bar mitzvah boy tomorrow. But it's a fundamental question. Is charging interest immoral or moral? Immoral or moral? Depends on who you're charging. No, but categorically, is it immoral or moral? So the answer is it has to be moral. How do I know that charging interest has to be something which is moral? Because if it was immoral, how could I charge interest to a non Jew? It has to be something which is moral. So if charging interest is moral, because we spoke about the time value of money, why can't I charge to a Jew? Aren't I entitled to make that money? <laughs> it's not really even making money. I'm recouping my loss of lending the money because of the time value of money. To treat a Jew that be brother. Oh, so the answer is, the answer is, if a stranger knocks on my door and says, hey brother, could I borrow five bucks? So maybe I'll say, you can borrow five bucks, but you got to give back six. But if my brother comes to me and he says, hey bro, I, I'm, I'm really struggling I have nothing can you help me you charge interest you're a mamzer I mean you charge your brother your sister come to you and take a loan and you're going to set up an interest structure what kind of person are you your family has to be different than a stranger so the entire prohibition of charging ribbis. this is a phenomenal insight the Torah God says interest absolutely moral charge it to a non-Jew they have the status of a stranger but every Jew needs to be like your brother a Jew comes to you and needs a loan, you've got to see them as if it's your own son or your own daughter, as if it's your own brother or your own sister. You can't charge interest. Not because it's immoral. It's perfectly moral. That's why you could charge it to a non-Jew. But because they're your brother. And there's certain things you don't do. So the whole mitzvah, the whole Isra, I should say, of charging ribbis, is designed to promote brotherhood. It's designed to promote a sense of fraternity. That the Jewish people are one family. And that's why we have this whole mitzvah. And that's why it says, V'chai Achicha Imach, to your brother. Oh, right. Yes. The ones, they have to check to They have, have uh, heter Iskas set up. Bank Lumi and so on operate through a heter Iska Even though it's a corporate entity. Right, so there, right, it's the question. Right, if it's a corporate entity, it might be different than. Yeah, <laughs> yeah interest. So, what's the difference between neshach and ribbis? Fifth parak of Babetzia is considered to be the hardest parak in Shas to learn. Very complicated, very difficult. Asahu <laughs> neshach, it's called, and it deals with a lot with this question. So, the Ramban defines it. The Ramban says, "Chad shaviu or b'shnei lav and Rashi." Rashi tells us based on the Gemara of Bab-Matiya that really there's no difference. It's just that to tell us how egregious it is. If you charge with interest, excuse me, you, you've, you get a double whammy. You violated... Not one thing, but you violated two things. The Ramban says, no, I think there's a difference. He says, Neshech means that I give you money and every year you got to pay me interest on it. So that bites you like a snake that keeps coming back to bite you. Ribbis means I'm giving you loan one time. You're paying me back in 30 days. Here's $5. When you pay me back, you give me 6 So he says, I give you $5. But every year that you still have that $5, you're giving me 10% on the $5. Uh, where, whereas uh, that's Neshach It keeps coming back to bite me like a snake It comes from Neshach to bite where, Whereas, uh, whereas ribbis is a one time Loan where the one time payment Has an interest to it as well That's what the Ramban says the difference between the two The uh, Orachayim HaKadosh The Helega Orachayim He goes through these Pesukim And he describes them All homiletically Very very beautifully we don't have time because I unfortunately have to end a little early today. I have to finish here. He says, imach is not homiletically referring to financially struggling, but spiritually struggling. You see somebody who's spiritually down and out. They're losing their faith in God. They're losing their observance. They're starting to give up on Shabbos and Kashros and Tais and Mashpacha. You see somebody who's spiritually struggling. So that's the obligation of you have to uplift them. You have to strengthen them. And the goal is via resa me'alukecha. The goal is that you fear God. You're going to encourage. You're going to help somebody. And as ukaspecha beneshech, he keeps this theme, this idea of a homiletic interpretation that it's not about physical world, but it's a spiritual struggle. And you have to spiritually sustain them. He keeps that theme going all the way through. That as that you, can't, they're, they're, you have to help them that their relationship with the physical world shouldn't be like Neshech. It shouldn't drag them. They shouldn't be dragged by it and follow it, but they have to own it and so on and so forth. Very beautiful. I'll just end by showing you the last Rashi on this section. Pasuk Lamed This little section about not charging interest ended. I am Hashem who took you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan in order to be for you a god. What do you mean? To give you the land of Canaan to be a god? You, you brought us out to be our God. You became our God. You see, us, Mitzrayim, Har Sinai was in the Midbar. Then you took us into the land. Why did you reverse the order? You took us into the land in order to be our God. So look what Rashi says. You want to feel guilty? The week of Yom Atzmut. Look at this Rashi. Which one you doing? Rashi, because God says, "I took you into Israel to be your God." Says Rashi. I'm only really your God in Israel you want to be living Judaism you want to be living Judaism to its fullest you want to really be living in authentic Judaism where Judaism is integrated into your everyday life where, where the um, subtitle on, on Kojak is Rashi Parshat Bahar then you got to go to Israel outside of Israel the Ramban, there's a famous Ramban Ramban says outside of Israel it's all practice you're practicing so that when you get to Israel and you're in the game you're ready to go in Chutz we're sitting on the bench. We're on the sidelines of Jewish destiny. In Israel, it's really unfolding. That is clearly where we all belong. And that Rashi takes that from this Pasuk, that I took you out. It's out of order. should have been I became your God, then I took you into Israel. No, I took you into Israel to be your God, because if you really love me, and you really want to follow my design for life, I am your God most authentically when you live in Israel. Have a great Shabbos.